chapter 11 through 13. We are in the last six chapters of Mark. I told you this would go quick. I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger of The Daily Walk. Welcome. And these last six chapters are Mark's devotion to the last eight days of Jesus. Yeah, so the first part of Mark, he devotes to the three years of ministry of Jesus and what he's doing, what he's teaching. But in these last six chapters, he devotes all six chapters to the last eight days of Jesus as he's here on earth. That's interesting. And it's really good. So a lot of it correlates to what we had in Matthew, and we're going to see that rather quickly, but we're going to pull out some things and try to explain a few things a little deeper because it's really good. And there's some differences in the way he tells it, which we'll see starting right off the bat with the triumphal entry. You know, he tells the disciples, Mark 11 is the triumphal entry when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and he has his disciples go to Jerusalem to get a donkey, a young donkey, you know, and he tells them how to find it, and if anyone asks you, tell them the Lord needs it, and they'll let you have it, you know. So Mark makes this specific mention of when Jesus says this. It's in verse 2. You will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. And he makes that specific claim because for anything, if we look back in the Old Testament, anything that's ever set apart for God has to be something unblemished, never used, never been ridden before, never been uh, violated. It has to be perfect. And so this is being used by God, the Son, Jesus, And that's why Mark points out that Jesus has this need for a young donkey that has never been ridden. Now, if we know anything about uh, horses and, you know, horse species, if they've never been ridden, you know, my understanding is a lot of times they need to be broke so that they will handle having a rider because they don't like that. They usually buck and, and put up a fuss because they don't like that. But here's the interesting thing. It's a young donkey, and it's Jesus. And remember, Jesus just said to his disciples, anything is possible with God. So when he gets this young donkey, 
They lay their garments over the back of the donkey, and Jesus sits on it, and the donkey is totally calm. Now, here's the other thing. I think this is a great illustration of when Jesus brings a child to him and says, unless we become like one of these, we'll never see the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is using a young donkey that's never been ridden, and the young donkey shows Jesus that he has total trust in Jesus by letting him ride him, even though he's never been ridden before. So there's no break period where he's got to be broken because he has all the donkey has all the trust in Jesus to allow him to be with him. And then Jesus rides with him into Jerusalem because of this bonded trust they have and they just met. They're living beings. So this whole illustration comes to be and they're coming down the hill into Jerusalem which what we get to see is there will come a day when if we have that that faith, that trust of a child like, G, like Jesus wants us to have, we will come into the new Jerusalem, heaven, with him just as it's illustrated here when we come, when he has this triumphant arrival into Jerusalem. I think that's huge, and I think we miss that all the time when we read this. All we see is, oh, he's coming into a town, and they're going to praise him now, but they're going to hate him later. But see, here's the interesting thing. That's the reality of it. A lot of times we show him that trust, but unless we maintain that childlike trust, you know, adolescence we get... We grow up and we begin to think we can do it on our own and then we start straying from our family and then we start thinking mom and dad don't know anything and then we start doing it on our own and we stray. And then we get to a point where we are separated from mom and dad and we figure out, oh, maybe they weren't so unknowing and we come back to a realization that maybe our parents weren't so dumb. And we reconcile... And we mend that. A lot of us, I, I was like that. And then we get, and some of my kids have been like that. I have one right now that has nothing to do with me because of things that's been fed to their mind. But here's the interesting thing. Just like when Jesus and Matthew told his disciples, and they'll say it again in Mark with his disciples, when I'm led away, all of you will scatter. He knows we are young and we'll make mistakes, but he will meet us and gather us up and have us there if we just come to the realization we need him. And I just think that's so cool because it's so illustrated in the triumphal entry that when we come to him with childhood trust and let him ride with us, we can come into the kingdom of heaven and all is good. And I just, I mean, I mean, that's just so cool. So he comes in, yeah, they're singing praise God, blessings on the one who comes, sing Hosanna. 
sing Hosanna to the King of Kings. And he comes in, and, and here's what's different in Mark. You know, Mark and Matthew, and, and we'll see it again in Luke, you know, he comes in, and when he gets after his arrival, and we'll see it in John as well, he goes in the temple and he clears it. But in Mark, it says he goes into the temple and looks around carefully at everything, and then he leaves because it was late in the afternoon and goes back to Bethany with his 12 disciples. See, what I think is Mark is seeing him look at everything. It's late in the afternoon. Things were winding down. You know, the markets are closing, so there's not much going on. And Jesus takes it in because he's seeing what they've done. There's not much action going on, but he's taking note of what's going on. Because in Mark, Mark says he goes back to Bethany, and then the next morning he's coming back, right? And that's when he sees a fig tree that has no figs. He curses the fig tree and says, may no one ever eat from you again. And he goes back to Jerusalem. And that's when he clears the temple and tells them, hey, scriptures say my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And so that is when the leading priest, that's another time, remember they got really mad at him when he healed the man's withered hand earlier because that was on a Sabbath, and all he did was speak a word, and the man's hand was healed, and that made him so mad they want to kill him. So now, because he's cleared the temple, he's turned over, they're changing tables, and he's like trying to get the livestock out of the temple. I mean, come on, can you think about, think about how messy that is? And he's trying to get that stuff out of the temple. And he's telling them, you know, this is not the place, people. Get that stuff out of my temple. My temple's where you pray. You don't come in here and peddle your goods and make money off of people and extort people. Because that's the big thing is they were doing that. Because someone said to me one time, says, yeah, but what about the people that come and do ministry here? And they set up their tables in the back to sell their product. And I said, first of all, that product in the back is in the back, usually in a foyer or a fellowship hall. Second of all, it's not the main focus of what's going on. That's not what they're there for. That's just an option thing. And I said, so what happens in the temple that Jesus drives out is that's the thing that's happening. That's the main event. That's what they're there for. And what the evangelists and the, the traveling ministry people do is that's just an option for you to keep what you're hearing and to hear more. It's not the main event. And that helped them see that. So when he destroys their main event function, that made them mad. And that made them mad enough that they returned to the plan on how we're going to kill this guy. But the truth is they were afraid of planning this because everybody else, the people, were amazed at Jesus' teaching. They were taking it in, and they thought it was really great. <coughs> Excuse me. So they go back the disciples go back when they go back to bethany and they find this fig tree and it's all withered up 
Remember that from Matthew? And they're like, wow, look, it's all withered and died. And this is where Jesus tells them, yeah, I tell you, if you have enough faith, even the faith of a mustard seed, and that's not in this passage, but he says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith in God, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown in the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. See, that's the big thing. A lot of times I was talking about this maybe yesterday or maybe it was Sunday in church or maybe both. We can't approach the throne asking Jesus to do something and really believe, well, it's never happened. So I don't, you know, I'll ask, but I don't think it'll happen. Yeah, it was probably yesterday because it was the man with unbelief. Because here's where Jesus says, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. So when you pray, we got to claim it. <laughs> we got to claim the victory. You know, that song, your name, your name is victory. Claim it. Claim the healing power. Claim that Jesus is victory. Claim it. Don't come in there with doubt. Don't come in there saying, well, I've prayed it for seven years. It's not going to happen. How can we ever expect to see the miracles of God if we approach the throne already defeated? And I already talked about that yesterday, so I won't stay on that soapbox. <laughs> so then Jesus is challenged because, you know, what authority did do you have to do these things? Because, you know, they still don't believe he's the son of God, even though he's done all these things. And, uh, you know, they're still looking at him as you're, you're born of your dad is Joseph the carpenter. That's how they see it. They have no clue that this immaculate conception happened through Mary, who had never had sex with anybody. Even Joseph. And Joseph was like, whoa, what do I do, man? And the angel said, you wed her like we told you to. And he says, okay, but I'm not having anything to do with her till after the baby's born. And they're like, that's good. So these guys are in denial. And so Jesus is like, you know what? You're supposed to know this because you're supposed to teach this because you teach from the book. And the book is foretold of me coming all along. So here, let me ask you something. What authority did John the Baptist baptize? Was it an authority from heaven or was it merely human? And they hem-hawed over that because they knew if they said one thing, it would make them look like they were doubter and unbelievers. And they knew if they said another thing, the people would be mad at them because they knew they believed in the baptism that he was giving them. And so they said, well, we don't know. And so Jesus says, well, if you can't answer me, then I'm not going to answer you. So that thing goes un unanswered and the challenge was over. So then Jesus tells the parable of the evil farmers in chapter 12 that talks about how uh, the tenant farmers have the crop and the farmer owner sends servants to go claim the crop share and they beat the the servants and then 
kill one, and then they finally send the son, and they kill him. And they're like, Jesus is like, so what do you think the owner's going to do? <laughs> and then they get the idea that, oh, he's talking about us. So that makes them even matter. So they want to arrest him. See all this stuff is just accumulating. And all this is in his last eight days. So it's like Jesus is purposely stirring the pot with these religious leaders because he knows that they have this hard time believing in him. Well, because, you know, they're afraid of the crowd. So then they try to trap him again with the whole taxes thing. Hey, you're a righteous man. I love, I if you have an audio Bible, you really got to hear this part because I have a good audio Bible. And the guy that plays this part, he really says this. Good, we know you're honest, man. You're impartial and don't play favorites. <laughs> it's so good how he says it. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? And and Jesus is like seeing right through his hypocritical question. And he says, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a coin. Show me a Roman coin. Whose picture's on it? And the guy's answer, of course, is, well, Caesar's. And that's when Jesus says, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And so that, like, totally blew this guy out of the water you know you can just see his face going oh when jesus is really knowing that all things created were created through him we'll get that later so he baffles him with that and then they challenge him on the resurrection and you know with the whole question on you know hey a brother's supposed to marry if he dies, his wife and leaves a widow with no children, he's supposed to marry. His brother's supposed to marry the wife and then have children, but then they he dies, and this goes on seven times before children are born. Whose wife is she in heaven? And he's like, oh, you guys are supposed to know the scripture. Come on. When we get to heaven, there is no marriage. You'll never be, it's, you, you're not going to be neither married nor given in marriage. In that respect, we'll all be like angels in heaven. So there you got a clue on what it's going to be like in heaven, right? But for a risen from the dead, you got to know way back from the story of Moses and the burning bush, long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am, that's so good, I love that, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he's the God of the living, not the dead. And if we look at that and think about the transfiguration, who showed up? Moses and Elijah. So these bodies are just transportation tools to get us to our next destination. And we think, oh, yeah, we're going to die, turn to dust. Well, this body will. But the life after, we spend somewhere, and it's up to us to determine where we want to be. So then they flip it again. This is all in the last eight days. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And, you know, like Jesus isn't going to know, right? He's the one that made them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind and all your strength. I love that he puts that in there because it takes a lot of strength to do this. But then he says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. You know, a lot of times we hate people so much because we hate ourselves, and that's a whole nother dissertation. But if we're angry with ourselves, and I, I kind of got to see some of that yesterday where there was some hurt from a previous incident in life, and all we're doing is looking for approval. And, you know, somewhere we got to be ready to be forgiven and accept the forgiveness so we can move on and not always be looking for approval. Because it's hard to love others if we can't love ourselves first. And that doesn't mean conceited kind of love, but just a love that says I've been forgiven and we can accept that. So that's huge. And one of the teachers who is really moved by Jesus says, well said, well said, you've spoken the truth, and I know that it's important to love God with all my heart and understanding and to love my neighbor as myself, and that this is more important than any burnt offering. This is the, the Pharisee saying this back to Jesus because he's moved in his heart by what Jesus said. He's getting it. He's seeing. It's like the Lord is moving on him, and when this happens, Jesus realizes that this man is starting to come into an understanding with him, like the Holy Spirit is moving on him, right? And so Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. We see that and we just look at that like, oh yeah, because Jesus is in his presence, but that's the thing. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is near, we got to understand that he is right in our presence. That's what he's talking about. If we invite him in, he's only going to go where he's invited. And this man with his response just invited Jesus in. And Jesus is like, yes, the kingdom is near. Because the guy invited him in. So he's experienced the presence of the real presence, his eyes were opened and his ears were opened, so he's hearing, so he's in the presence of the one true God in Jesus himself. So it was it was a super moment for the Lord. You could see it right there. And so Jesus then warns his people that they got to watch out for these Pharisees, these other Pharisees, because they... Uh, prayed themselves around, dressed in full garb, but then they uh, don't really help the people that they're supposed to be helping. And then we get the widow's offering, and the Lord blesses it because she gives, even though she gives a lesser amount, it's all she has. And the Lord says that, that offering is going to be great. So what's that say? That says... He's not looking at your amount. He's looking at your heart. Are you giving from the heart? Are you giving with a cheerful heart? Or are you giving from obligation? Because that goes back to what the Pharisee just said, that it's better to love with a heart of love than to offer sacrifices that mean nothing. 
And if we're just giving God here, well, I got a little of this left. I'll give you that. That's just offering meaningless sacrifices. And that goes back to Cain and Abel, where this lady gives her two cents, and she's like, that's giving out of love, and that's all she had. And she wasn't concerned about how she was going to survive because she put all her trust in Jesus. That's a childhood trust, and she's believing that I'm going to give it to him because I know he will take care of me. And we had some great testimonies to how the Lord takes care of us on Sunday because we give not out of obligation, but because we know Jesus is our provider and how he just provides so well. So that's what he's saying in that. And then Mark 13 is very much like Matthew 24 because it talks about the future and how things are going to take place. And uh, one of the key things that I noticed, you know, the end of time we get really caught up in, you know, the wars and rumors of wars, and we got the Israeli conflict going on right now. And the Bible is clear in the in the these gospels we're looking at right now that yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. And a lot of times when these things happen, people are like, Oh no, the end of the world's coming. But this won't happen immediately. And one of the precursors to that says this for the good news must first be preached to all the nations and while we're doing better at that we still got a long way to go so his encouragement to us is the one who endures to the end will be saved so yeah we're going to go through hard times yeah we're going to go through a lot of growing uh, birthing pains yeah there's going to be a lot of betrayal because he goes through the betrayal process of what family members will turn on family members. But if we can endure, then we're going to be saved. And he says, for the sake of the chosen ones, this calamity period will be shortened. And that's why we want to keep enduring for the name of Jesus Christ, because he's going to protect us, because he's our refuge and our strength. So he reiterates that, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. And the hour of when he's coming back is not known. It's just not known. And one of the things he says is keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return, whether it's evening, midnight, dawn, or daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping. You have to be ready. And that was my thing yesterday or back when we were in Matthew is we don't know when he's coming. We just have to be ready. And we're ready by doing like the Pharisee did and knowing that we have this relationship with Jesus and believing and enduring even through these times of calamity that can come our way. So tomorrow... Or the next tomorrow is an off day. It's the a uh, seven fourteen, and so when we come back Sunday, we'll finish Mark, and it'll have his rendition of the Passion, which is super good. And there'll be things in his rendition that weren't in Matthew, so it's really good to read. And you'll see that in Mark sixteen, there's a a short version and an added version. And it just depends on what version of the Bible you have on how long it goes. But usually most Bibles have the the complete 
chapter in there. So hope you have a great day. Hope you have a great Friday. Enjoy your weekend. Let's get ready to prepare our hearts for Jesus and know that he loves us and we can endure because he is with us. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Have a great Friday. Oh, I trust in God, my Savior.